All right, you guys, podcast time. We got the equipment and the perfect business plan. Give our show away for free and tell no one how to find it. Ready? Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian. I think he broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone, to HIAC Talk Radio. We are back. Here's the weird thing. We're supposed to already have an episode this week, and we're off next week, so we're getting one in the middle for the beginning of the week. That's all we're doing. Welcome, everyone. I'm here with Craig. We're all here. Stay Puft, Daphne, Genesis, all the stuff behind me. We're here to talk some wrestling last week. Some things that you missed, some things that I might have missed. And right, we're going to get right into a smashing start. Yes, it's a shoot made of ghost hands. Yeah, it's usually how it goes. Um, so... Over the many years that you and I have watched wrestling, you doubled on that. I mean that in a respectful way. <laughs> you old bastard. Um, we see. <laughs> I'm coming. Um, <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, we've seen a lot of people try to attack wrestlers. Yes. None of them really successful. And I wouldn't call this one a success, but our old friend for FKA Bandito Jr. Eddie Orango and Seth Rollins had a, an interesting time this Monday <laughs> where a rather large man. And I say that again, with respect being a large fella. Mm-hmm. Ran how he got there. I'll never know, but this dude ran from the side of where his seat was all the way across this entranceway, right down the aisle and speared pretty good. Yeah. Seth Rollins. Now, all the people that are saying Seth Rollins got rocked didn't see that Seth Rollins immediately put him in a headlock and he couldn't move after that. Exactly. But it wasn't one of the best, but it was one of the surprising fan run-ins I've ever seen. Yeah, and what made it so distressing, Dan, is because I thought, and like many fans thought, it was part of the show. We just didn't know who was attacking Seth Rollins. And only, only when I saw that the camera went directly back to the ring and after Seth was tackled, then I realized, oh, it's this is a shoot. This is an actual fan. Um, and security was nowhere to be found when I saw on, on further um, plays, uh, replays of this and with people that had the fan cams, the people that actually had the cameras on them. There was uh, referees and a guy in a headset that came to take him off of Seth. And he, they pulled him off of Seth because he had to hold of Seth's hair. And they were and they were doing that to not make sure that Seth didn't hit the guy because then that's a lawsuit waiting to happen and we don't want Seth to get hurt because this is a million dollar athlete that the WWE has. He gave him some choice words and they dragged him off. But the problem with all that and like you said at the beginning, Dan, we were wrestling fans for a lot of years and we've seen lots of fans specifically. If you've been in Philly at the Civic Center during the NWA show, <laughs> even more specifically involving the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette, you know that fans attacking or getting on uh, wrestlers or managers is a very common thing. 
the difference being from that that happened that would happen uh, not regularly but enough times 30 years ago where the people that would walking the, there would be actual police officers yeah. walking the restless tutoring if not then security staff we don't have that anymore now the restless walk out by themselves big wide ramp and you know all this the most ironic thing dan is like now there's big these big giant barriers to keep the fans away from the wrestling we're back in the day when we were growing up there was a clothesline attached to a pole that would right. keep right this is back when wrestlers and were, fans were attacking wrestlers left and right but <laughs> the only thing stopping them was a thin line of um nylon to keep them away. this is gonna stop them <laughs> yes well will keep i'll keep them away um and the, but the thing, what the and the reason why this was such a shock to all of us, and why it made news, national news, trending worldwide, TMZ, all that other stuff, it's because we, what the wrestling business is now, and I use that term loosely because everyone knows it's a show, everyone knows it's this is just a performance. It, there is no there is no wrestlers right now, save for maybe a couple in AEW that get so much heat that fans want to want to kill him want to want to want to jump in and hit them i mean there's the term heat you know there's good heat bad heat good heat fans just want to boo you flair had that bad heat fans want to kill you piper had that you know yeah yeah yes, <laughs> yeah so that's and that that the type of heat that you got in Cornette had that too and so did the the, the chic and so did so many others down the line where they need the police escort. Ted DiBiase was called on when he was in Mid-South on a regular basis. He was he got phone calls saying we're gonna kill you. Um one night in Tulsa, he had to go, he had to be driven out of the arena in the trunk of Grizzly Smith's car because fans were <laughs> which usually was reserved for underage girls. Thank you. Thank Grizzly you. Smith joke. We're here all week, folks. But those are examples of heat, the fans getting so into it with a little alcohol involved that wrestlers would fear for their safety and and managers too that doesn't happen now the minute you see the shield entering the arena through the crowd and they're supposed to be the heels you we know that it's that type is gone that um hell when edge and christian used to enter the ring through the through the crowd we know that wrestling the pro wrestling we know is gone how long do you think the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette would last if they came through the ring through the crowd? A day. I don't think they'd even make it past their entrance music. So, and what happened with this kid? There was no security. Like you said, he took the long way around. He had to drip over the gear and just run almost the equivalent of 100 yards to get to Seth. And no one stopped him at all because they were complacent. It that doesn't happen anymore. Fans don't attack wrestlers because fans know fans know it's a show. You know, you don't jump up on stage and you know punch the guy you don't like in Hamilton because you know it's a show. But this guy, and we found out more about him. Did, I'm sorry, did you want to say something? No, I just it was baffling to me that there was that less amount of security after COVID. Yeah, not after COVID, but because but, of COVID, yeah, that they were like, COVID, yeah. Go ahead. Get in there. Mm-hmm. Have fun, buddy. And, and we and we found out that the guy, you know, A, didn't get roughed up. 
um, which is another thing that if you you attacked a wrestler back in the day, oh, you were getting um, you were getting fucked up. You were getting and in some cases they would take you in the back, and the wrestler that you attacked would meet you later on in a special room and to talk. And in some cases, um, they get tuned up, and then they get thrown out in the back alley, and we never heard from them again. No charges were pressed, and the fan got his comeuppance. But in and when that's happened, um, but we, we saw in now in this day of of oversharing and cameras everywhere, a fan was taken to the back. We were led up. He was led out through the crowd with just a security guy holding the back of his shirt and leading him up the stairs. What's to stop that guy? You're, you're going back through the crowd. But what's to stop him if he would actually violent intent on hurting someone for turning around and like even just shoving the security guard down the stairs and then when we put him in the back he was surrounded by all these guys agents and booking uh production assistants talking to him and then he was let out in handcuffs again the guy could have a gun a knife or, or something which is why you jump on him but there was no security anywhere i told you the people who jumped on him was referees and one guy with a headset by the time they got the set, there wasn't any security anywhere. No security officers, no no officials, no no anyone with a weapon. The budget cuts. Oh my god! Yeah, well they're firing. They laid off seventy one right. uh, security guards as well. Yeah, that, that maybe that's why. But I mean, but dealing with the fan afterwards, there were still no. <laughs> not that you got to rough the guy up. Not that you got to, but he's got to know that you can't do this. And even Seth's response to it. I didn't say it wouldn't help his cause, but I mean, he came out saying, you know, he was terrified and that, you know, I'm glad the security was there, which they weren't. But um, that. Yeah, well, yeah, all right. Yeah. I wouldn't have said anything. Yeah, and if I were set and he was interviewed by TMZ, it wasn't like they caught and what TMZ does. They catch you on the street with a guy with a phone and say, hey, that's what happened last night. And he said and, you know, he said he was terrified and glad security was there. Guy says, if you're going to say something, cut a heel promo on the guy. Let him know it's a good thing security was there. I would have kicked his ass. And that's a warning to anyone who comes up here. And, you know, and he was getting shady. You, hear what, you heard what Chavo Guerrero tweeted. Oh, right? And it's like, and the thing is, they're giving Seth crap because he got blindsided. He didn't know the guy could have been 540, 150, but still you're running, you're running at someone at top speed. If you don't see, you can take anyone off his feet. The wrong Guerrero died. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, but Fuck you, Chavo. I, yeah, I saw yeah, what he said I agree. and yeah. I retweeted it and I said, because he kind of implied a, a like a like a mental issue or like a yeah. a weak mind. I was like, says the guy with a fake toy, toy horse he called Pepe. Yeah. The guy and was I was like, yeah, Chavo, guy, shut the fuck yeah. up, dude. Thank guy was Kerwin White. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah that too. Gee. Yeah. White, real tough guy. You're yeah. Curran White. Stop it. You're only not Curran White because your uncle passed away. That's yeah. when it stopped. How long would you have taken that into the now <laughs> personally? I think I think Kerwin White was funny because it makes white it like it makes the wrong white people mad, if you know what I'm saying, Craig. But yeah. you can't yeah. do that. That's racist. I'm like, hmm. Well, the tables are turned, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> For fans who don't know, Chavo, after Seth got attacked by a fan, Chavo Guerrero uh, tweeted, I I remember the days where wrestlers were tougher than the fans. Regarding the fact that Seth Rollins was speared unbeknownst to him by a guy <laughs> running at twice, top speed. But you know, and you saw it once he got into a, a um, 
And MVP, I don't know if you saw his tweet, defended Seth, saying once he grabbed the guy in a front face lock, all Seth had to do was was realign his, was shake his hips a certain way, and the guy would have been choked out. Yeah. So Seth athlete, Seth Seth Rollins, Rollins actually held back a little bit on that one because yeah. I saw it. I saw that angle, and I'm like, oh, he's got him. That's over. Right. Yeah. But the, the lack of a better word, security and the uh, production and the referees wanted him off because Seth, if Seth did choke the guy out or hit him back, they didn't want Seth to be liable and they didn't want him to touch him. Speaking of Chavo and WCW, I recall several matches where little Mark Curtis was the referee and he was taking guys out before they even got into the ring. Yes. And that's the, the unwritten rule of the referee. If a fan jumps in the ring, first one at him is the ref because he's got the best view. So every and once he, if a fan ever gets in the ring, everybody jump on him, regardless of what happens. But referee, the first line of defense, if a fan jumps in the ring. And Mark Curtis was better. At, and Mark Curtis, he trained as a wrestler. So yeah. He can handle himself. But if there was anyone who was more equipped to uh, handle that, that would have been uh, Mark Curtis. But uh, but the fan himself who jumped Seth Rollins, I don't know if you heard his story, Dan. I I, um, I saw it tweeted, but I scrolled back. And I'm like, I don't want to know. Yeah, well, I said he had to be crazy a minute, and apparently he was because he said he attacked Seth Rollins under orders from both Vince McMahon and Goldberg. Um, they, oh. they they booked they booked that for him. Okay, and that that he was part of the. Uh, and he mentioned Roman Reigns, <laughs> the bloodline, and The Rock, and Rikishi. So I thought, oh, he's Samoan. Turns out he's not Samoan. Hold um, on, he's not really. Yes, hello. To... <laughs> yes, yes. I have somebody you really should pick up right now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he wasn't playing with a full deck, and he claimed that that Colby Colby Lopez, who which is Seth Rollins' real name, oh, he's going shoot with it. Uh, yeah, owed him money. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so this person named Colby Lopez sent him money back and it sent him a check. Apparently, he got catfished and the check bounced. Um, oh, his, oh, his, his, his <laughs> oh, ex wife okay. his, his ex wife tried to cash it and it bounced. Yeah. So, is that why um, it's his ex wife? Yeah, but so all this was going through his head, so just why he attacked Seth Rollins. Um, so. By the way, just to backtrack for a second, I, mm-hmm. he does actually mental illness. He needs yeah. help. Yeah. Like, because because he's good. In all seriousness, because I, I know Chavo was ragging on Seth and people were ragging on Chavo for Seth. And I agree with them because shut up. Um, <laughs> but he's going to do that to the wrong person and he's not going to surprise them one day. Yeah. And that headlock's going to turn into a guillotine. Yeah. Choke hold. And it's mm-hmm. going to be worse. So. Let's let let's let's just straight up call it the way it is. If Seth Rollins saw that dude coming, that mm-hmm. would have not that would have turned out worse. Yeah. So let's let's oh, not man. be silly, yeah. uh, Chavo and anybody else who has never been in a fight before. Uh, <laughs> judge how fast and like I said, as a big guy, that's a big dude. Yes. And he yeah. he was in the darkness of the entranceway. These yeah. Seth, is, from his perspective, Seth has got a billion things going around him. Mm-hmm. Eddie, <laughs> like I said, our old friend of the show, Bandito Junior. Eddie Rango, trying to pull the guy off as well. At the same time, like no Seth. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> yeah. Don't, don't hit him. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, him. no. <laughs> and they were what? trying to, yeah, they were trying to protect the, the Seth as well as they're protecting the guy from Seth. It reminds um, me of that bit from, it's not the same, wasn't a running like that, but it was like unscripted part of the, the Morton Downey Roddy Piper incident. Yeah. Where uh, he spray, where Roddy sprays the, he sprays the extinguisher on him okay. and Morton mm-hmm. Downey kind of falls down, takes a pratfall and in re- retaliation starts biting his shin or something. And you yeah. see Roddy Piper take the, the extinguisher, go like this, like he's going to hit him. And he says, all of a sudden he heard from the side, Grill of suit said, no, Roddy. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> in any moments, you would have been dead. And again, since we're talking about this thing, uh, it'll, it'll go back to Nitro 99, arguably the, the beginning of the lean years in WCW, but uh, there was a certain macho man mm-hmm. on top as the top heel in the company. And, you know, for what it's worth, macho man was still macho man in 99. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. But he had so much heat that I think, and this is that storyline. There's about two or three nitros in a row during the last segment or his segment where somebody had to run in. And unfortunately for the guy that ran in, the ref and people around didn't get to him. In time. Doug Dillinger wasn't going to get there in time. Yeah. Wobbles. But nobody got to him in time. And the guy was able to get to Macho Man. And mm-hmm. a thing about Macho Man is Macho never pulled a punch if you're in the ring and you weren't supposed to be. And both guys, <laughs> the guy, one guy runs in the ring. He's like, "Yeah!" And all you see is Macho come on screen and just spear him out of his shoes, tackle him to the ground, and just start shoot punching him. And the other one, he just drops an elbow. I think he drops an elbow, but he stomps him. He mm. starts stomping him for real, not those yeah. gimmick stomps where you're stomping the boot at the same time. He was stomping him, and I'm like. I always, all that was running through my head watching that Seth Rollins going, man, that kid is lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the thing, and you know, there's something we haven't had to deal with in many, we're talking about 99 here. There's something we haven't had to deal with more than 20 years. Yeah. Fans jumping in the ring because fans, there was no, there was no wrestler that gets that type of heat and fans by and large don't care enough to talk to attack a wrestler. Um, and unless there was lots of alcohol involved, which is usually, how it happens but in this case it was it was a, a mental health you know deficiency and it's a shame but we really have as wrestling has gotten complacent because we don't need security anymore because there's no incidents anymore because wrestling is what it is now and no one gets any heat except i was going to say over an aew um the closest thing to a Roddy Piper we have is Maxwell Jacob Freeman. And he started a program now with CM Punk that, uh, beautiful, started, by the way, beautiful, uh, started, you know, a week ago when, uh, MGF was in the ring and Punk came down and, uh, Max went to shake his hand, Maxwell and Punk just looked at it and walked away. The ultimate, F you to a heel. And we're back in Chicago this past uh, Wednesday when we were supposed to be on. Um, and thank God we, well, I wish we were on, but had we been on, we would have missed this gold um, segment that took up the first half an hour of AEW. Oh, I got to rewatch that now. 
We're in Chicago. So, of course, Punk has to open the show for his match against QT Marshall. But instead of QT's music, we hear Maxwell Jacob Freeman come out. And what made this segment great was because Maxwell came out with a mic and Punk didn't have one. And they were in opposite corners. You know, so much so that, you know, when the standard, they start face to face, but they were in opposite corners. And he was telling Punk, you know, how he uh, he doesn't have it anymore. He said, uh, you're, you know, you're your old news. I'm going to end your your career is going to fizzle out here quicker than your UFC career did. Ooh. <laughs> wow. And right. he read Punk the riot act and, you know, how uh, reveling he is. And then when Punk just smiled and he just took it in and when he got a pop, Punk got a pop for walking over and grabbing the mic. Because once Punk left his corner, walked over and grabbed the mic, then the crowd went because now we know it's on. And Punk retaliated with your, you know, you're a fan of mine and now you're you're trying to 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 be me. You know, I was, you know, you're trying to make a name for yourself just like you did when you were on Rosie O'Donnell. Um, and this is an allusion to when MJF was on the Rosie O'Donnell show way back in the uh the uh the late that, 90s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh he said you're and and they were talking and they were getting closer and closer. And MJF hit him with the bombshell. You're no longer well. You see what you've done? You've you've sold you're sold out. You're so used to, you know, you're not even the guy anymore. You're not even number two anymore. You, can, you might as well be saying hustle, loyalty, and respect. Big pop. Wow. Yeah. And and punk, right. punk retaliated. It's like you're trying to do you're 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 a fan of mine, and now you're trying to be big time all the time. All you are is a less popular Miz. Bigger pop. Holy shit. What the fuck? What did Miz do? <laughs> and, and Punk said, and, and Punk said, I, you know, I'll put you on a New York, <laughs> on the New York Times. I'll put you back on the New York Times as, you know, in the obituaries. And he said, <laughs> You're, you know, you smell, your breath smells like shit from the amount of ass you've been kissing. Oh, I'm sorry. MJF said that to, to Punk, your breath. Right, right. You know, for somebody who's straight edge, you certainly look like a meth addict. You know, that's, <laughs> I that's what MJF said to Punk. And Punk said, because uh, MJF is saying your number, you're always number two. You're always, you know, also low, you might as well be also loyalty and respect. And Punk re re replied, Dan, MJF, the only way you could be number one is if Tony Khan had a daughter and you married him. <laughs> nice. So this was the first half an hour of That's AEW. Good. That's right. I'm going to rewatch it. I missed it this Absolute week. Absolute gold. And by then, you know, at MJF, that last comment about Tony, you know, you had to marry Tony Khan's daughter to be number one. MJF took off the ring, took off the scarf, took off the jacket. Rolled up his sleeves and got out of the ring. And oh, really? Grabbed his jacket, scarf, I, put everything back on. You know what? This is the first the time since CM Punk has come back that I'm really uh, like, I didn't even watch the segment. And I, I want to see this. I watched the it first time, which is not a great, that's not good to say, but no. this is this is the first time I'm like, because I watch MJF 
cut a yeah. promo against the bag, but you know. I watched it. I watched that segment three times, Dan. <laughs> Badass says that's the Marine franchise cornerstone, the Miz to you, sir. <laughs> but not yes, a good actor. But, but that the heat that MJF has um was absolutely, I mean, almost nuclear. And he's not, I mean, to the point where I would fear for his safety because he's that good. Because he, no one I think has gotten that to that level since Piper. And I haven't seen anyone on the mic that can get to, to the crowd, to the guy he's going up against, uh, to the TV audience, to anyone the way that MJF has. But that opening segment with Punk on last Wednesday's uh, Dynamite, superb. Best TV I've seen in many, many years. I have seen the interactions he gets on on Twitter sometimes. Mm-hmm. And there are people that would probably do things to him if they could. <laughs> well, he gets that kind of heat where people are like really in reply on Twitter. Like, I would have come get bro. He's, he's a heel. man. Like, exactly. what are you talking about? I, yeah, I, you know, I need to go back and watch that. I did watch AEW dark elevation. Why? Uh, because to my favorite, re- why? And you need to watch it because one of the people I've been telling you about for a year and a half was on there. Actually, technically, two of the people I've been to for a year and a half were on there, and they were uh, the Pan African Champion Trisha Trish Adora. Adora Trish was mm-hmm. a yeah. You should uh, was uh, was on the show and uh, Logan Easton. Well, Logan Easton, not Logan Easton Larue. In the room. Uh, was also on the show. Now, I mean, spoiler alert, they didn't win their matches, but that was the point. Yeah. <laughs> they were there. Uh, Trisha Dora should be on that show to begin with. And like I said, mm-hmm. had one of, has one of the most gorgeous belts on the independent wrestling scene. So anybody who hasn't watched Dark Elevation, go watch those two matches. Uh, so I watched that, and then I forgot to go back and watch Dark <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, whoopsies. Um, no, but that's why I watch because two people that I've seen for years that are were on the show and I needed to see them. Okay, they were a bit quick matches, but you know it was that was the point. Yeah, uh, please bring them back, AEW. Yeah, and AEW really is the only wrestling that I've. Well, I I missed SmackDown on Friday and I didn't care. I didn't even tape it um, because there really is anything worth. Um, watching and nothing happened. I mean, and honestly, if if Seth hadn't been attacked, I there was nothing of note that happened on Raw either. Um, I still don't get uh, Big E as champion. I don't understand how. I I mean, I do understand, but I don't how you can have a guy you know as part of a three man circus act throwing pancakes and doing bootios and funny dances, and now I'm supposed to take him seriously as a heavyweight champion. Um, Where's no. my box of bootios? I actually bought a box of bootios to give away as a prize, so I never actually had them. But, oh, I didn't um, eat the bootios. I threw. I okay. took a taste. I was like, I threw that shit out. It was disgusting. <laughs> I wanted the box. Same thing with the Ghostbusters Afterlife cereal. That's yeah. garbage. I, I had one. I had a handful. I was like, Close the box and I put it up in this play. But since we moved, they were both at the yeah. same spot, and I don't know where they are now, so I need those. Whoops. 
<laughs> Whoops, Bootios next to Afterlife cereal. I saw a picture of an old Bootios. Yes. Yeah. Bootios cereal. cereal. Take, Bootios. Take, look it. Look it up. We get it. If I went in to get it, got it at. Um, <laughs> Badash also asks, "What's a tape, Professor Leggins?" Uh, a tape is something you would watch something on, um, and that I would <laughs> record it something. I tape it. So, oh, uh, who's who's asking this? Badash. Badash, I'll let you know. I still tape things. When I buy music, I buy the album. Okay. And at work, I still use a Xerox machine. Okay. <laughs> so I, I've got it all. All the vanilla. I still, yeah, I still I, call it an album. Tracks. Uh, I call them I, tracks, I, not songs. Yeah. I call them album. I tape stuff. I know it's a DVR. I still, I say, still do say tape when I like, yeah, yeah, I taped it on DVR. I'm like, no, I didn't. I recorded it. <laughs> yeah. I stopped. I only only recently in the within the last five years have I stopped calling ATM a Mac machine. So oh, I still call it a Mac machine out here. Yes. And the what CVS the will Mac? Call, yeah. A yes. CVS a Rite Aid will always be the drugstore. Yeah, drugstore. Yeah. yeah I'm gonna go to yeah. the drugstore. Yeah. Mac yeah. machine. Yeah. My mom Mac and dad still say Mac machine. Yes. Money so, access. Who cares? Son, thank you for paying it. Thank you for paying attention to my vernacular, but it's not going to change. So yes, I tape things and I use a Xerox machine Pat, and I go to the drugstore. Matt Ash says, "What's a Xerox?" I said, a, "A photocopier." Then why not say copier? Because a Xerox is like a, a band aid. Band aid is not the name of the thing that you use. It's an adhesive strip. Band aid yeah. is a brand, but everybody calls them band aids. Xerox was a brand or a company that made copiers and you would go use the Xerox machine like you would put on a Band-Aid. A Mac machine, no one has it. It's been called ATM everywhere except for the Delaware Valley. It used to be called a Mac machine in the Delaware Valley with money access something. Yeah, money access. Credit, I think. Money access credit, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, This is ageism. Yes, you're being ageist against us because we're old. I'm glad you're taking. I'm glad you're taking such an interest in our vernacular while we're talking about wrestling here. But so this is. I'm glad you're you paying where, attention. Yeah, where I realized the band aid thing was the clerk's cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> at the final where the they come in and go, "Do you have any band aids?" <laughs> Randall's like, uh, "Actually, it's a <laughs> it's a easy strip. You can't be labeling things. You start labeling everybody." And he goes. While his fingers just gushing blood, fine. Do you have any adhesive strips? No. Well, great. What are you going to use to hold up the merry-go-round? No, you're being ageist against me. No, we're not. We're explaining to the youngin what those things was. Those things was what those things were. And we speak good too. I speak good. I me speak good. And that, gentlemen and ladies, is wrestling present. Uh, now we are going to go back to the future. No, back to the past. Um, back when wrestlers would get attacked by fans on a regular basis because of the amount of realism in it that took place in professional wrestling. Back when Thanksgiving was the biggest day in professional wrestling uh, throughout the country, when fans would uh, would flock after having their Thanksgiving dinners and flock to their local arenas, coliseums, and superdomes to see the best that wrestling has to offer because every Thanksgiving would be a huge day in every specific territory in uh, the wrestling world uh, back when 
it wasn't sports entertainment back when they were fans instead of a universe. This was back when pro wrestling was pro wrestling and you legitimately feared for the lives of all the heels. This is the wrestling historian. When we were supposed to go on the air before my computer prematurely died, uh, it was uh, Wednesday, uh, November 24th was when we were supposed to go on the air and I would have uh, made um, mention of the fact that it would have been the, it was the 38th anniversary of the very first Starcade in Greensboro, North Carolina at the Greensboro Coliseum. The brainchild of Dusty Rhodes came to fruition uh, with the first ever Starcade uh, in Greensboro, uh, North Carolina. Uh, one of the greatest cards in wrestling history uh, really set the tone for the major uh, super cards to come. Um, and what started and what will make Starcade a annual uh, biggest show in the NWA. But this first one in 1983 uh, actually got the seeds were planted in uh, the summer of that year uh, when 16,000 fans were turned away at a good at event at Greensboro, North Carolina, when the, Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood went up against Sergeant Slaughter and Don Cronodal. Uh, the event sold out in uh, minutes and 16,000 fans were turned away, so much so that it caused a major traffic jam in Charlotte. And Charlotte, the local Charlotte News had to break in to broadcasting news to let fans know that if you're going down to the Coliseum, don't go. There is a major traffic jam and there's all tickets are sold out. So if you're on your way to the arena, Please don't go. Um, it caused major traffic and all thoroughfares and all roads leading to the Charlotte, North Carolina, Charlotte Coliseum, that uh, particular uh, event. And that got in Dusty's head. Well, why don't we have something that big again uh, for Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving traditionally in the Mid-Atlantic was always a huge show, just like it was in Dallas in the world-class area, just like it was in Florida. And just like it was in Chicago and other territories, Thanksgiving shows were huge. So Dusty decided to put together um, an event called Starcade with two R's. And it would culminate in the tag team champions being championship being up for grabs again. Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood being the common denominator. Uh, going trying to regain the title from Jack and Jerry Briscoe, uh, the original Briscoe brothers, who had turned heel. Um, it would also culminate in the uh, the regaining of uh, Ric Flair trying to regain the NWA Heavyweight Championship from Harley Race. Uh, it, that's why the first arcade was subtitled Flair for the Gold. Uh, and also uh, the dog collar match between Roddy Piper and United States Champion Greg Valentine. And to much consternation, it's been called the first dog collar match. And uh, so much so on social media because I wasn't aware it was a, I only found out it was the uh, anniversary because it was posted all over social media that it was the 38th anniversary of the first arcade. And of course, people they get the Ugh. first dog collar match at Roddy Piper and and I chimed in with uh, actually the first dog collar match was Junkyard Dog versus Michael Hayes at the Superdome, August 2nd, 1980, in front of 28,000 people. But 
I had to sit corrected, Dan, because I was mistaken. Because oh. I, I made a mistake, clutching pearls. No. Uh, I was made aware um, that the first dog collar match, or the first one on film that was recorded for photographic purposes, was on January 10th, 1971, between John Tolis and Freddie Blassie. <laughs> had All a right. dog collar match at the Olympic Auditorium. That escaped me because Fred Blassie and John Tolis had many specialty matches. They had the first cage match in California history, and uh, they had stretcher matches, and apparently they had a dog collar match, and there's photographic proof of that. Uh, both men were wearing dog collars, but that's the first one, um, I believe, on record. Uh, I always thought Junkyard Dog and Michael Hayes had the first one, but uh, Freddie Blassie and John Tolis January 1971, the wow. Olympic Auditorium had the first dog collar match. Oh, you learn something new every day. Yes, I don't like to, but yes, I did in this case. Um, uh, was memorable. It's also on record. That, you can't deny it now. Yeah, I can't it's on record, it man. Uh, well, it's also memorable about that first Starcade, uh, that Harley race. Uh, the NWA champion uh, was approached by Vince McMahon Jr. Uh, in a bathroom, I believe. Um, with a all the best deals with a briefcase full of money and asked Harley if he would come to the WWF with the NWA title so as to sabotage the very first Starcade. Got finish your point first. No, Harley obviously didn't take the money, he did show up in Greensboro and he did drop the belt to Ric Flair. And that would be the last time Harley Race would ever be the NWA heavyweight champion. This is why I have a problem with that fucking narrative about Medusa and the ladies champion, women's championship, which mm -hmm. then folded into why Bret Hart and the whole screw job happened because he didn't want him leaving his champion because he didn't trust him. That is all. When I say that, I have always said that people blink and they look at me like, what do you mean it's Vince's fault? There are now... 51 examples <laughs> of Vince trying to do the same goddamn thing. His own paranoia, because he would do it. Mm -hmm. Not saying that Bischoff wouldn't have done it. If mm -hmm. I was Bischoff, I absolutely would have done it. Been like, here's Bret Hart. By the way, here's the WWF championship. Um, But that was all created by his own paranoia, because he not only has he wanted to do it, he did it first. Yeah, he did it first. He did it with Flair in nine. It was ninety one, right? Ninety two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ninety one. By saying the real world's heavyweight champion and Bobby Heenan, not yeah. and I'm not like, oh god, cancel him. Amazing moment, love it. Good, glad you did it because it was awesome. But this is all created by you, either wanting to or have done it, do, have done it, have doing it before that. Mm -hmm. And I know people argue, well, he didn't throw it in the trash. He still paraded the championship <laughs> out, man. He took right. the championship. It was not. And I understand, you know, because Jim Hurd is a dick. And I totally <laughs> know why Flair did it. But all that stuff, I erase all that. That's why I'm like, no, Bret Hart got screwed that entire time. Because it all goes back to Mr. Title Boy. <laughs> yeah. God damn it, Vince. Yeah. Hard the hell no, I'm not doing that. I have a gun. Yeah, and he did not. 
it's weird that you say that, Dan, because that was that happened on November 24th, Starcade. But November 25th, 1985, was the other screw job yeah. that Vince was a part of that took place in Madison Square Garden. You talked about Medusa. Uh, and speaking of ladies champions, this was the, the match in Madison Square Garden where the Spider Lady defeated Wendy Richter for the WWF Heavyweight Championship. And after the match, Spider Lady took off her mask and revealed herself to be the fabulous Moolah. The, the count was suspect because neither woman's shoulders were down. The referee raised Moolah's hand and gave her the belt. Wendy Richter, seeing that it was Moolah, gave her some shots, some stiff shots, which Moolah didn't sell. Uh, Wendy Richter still maintains to this day that she did not know that Moolah was under the mask, uh, which I still find incredibly hard to believe since Moolah is the one who trained her. Moolah is the one that teamed up with her. Uh, her first match in Mass Square Garden was at the tag team with Fabulous Moolah and knows woman inside out. But uh, it's one thing to claim she didn't know that it was Moolah under the mask, but she obviously did know that she was going to be losing the title. Because, like I said, her shoulders weren't pinned. The referee counted to three, even though her shoulders and her bullets weren't down. And the referee announced that the winner and new champion was the Spider Lady. Uh, this goes back to Wendy Richter uh, not signing a long-term contract with the WWF. Um, many thought that she was getting, well, not she was, not, not she was getting, she was as popular as Hulk Hogan because back when in, this is, in 85, uh, the first year into Hulkamania, where the popularity of wrestling was at an all-time high and the, tra and the travel scheduling was insane, um, going from L.A. to Miami to Toronto to Chicago to Dallas to uh, Philly in a given week, and so much so that they had to split their crew. So where Hogan would be main eventing on one part of the country, because of her popularity, Wendy Richter would be the main event in another part of the country. And the business was so good that she would be on top and she would be selling out. So it was Wendy Richter's um, contention that she was just as popular as Hogan and she was the main cog in the wheel of, of rock and wrestling. Because if you remember the first match ever uh, that took place on MTV on a national cable system was Wendy Richter versus Fabulous Moolah. Um, so Wendy, if anything, had just as much of a claim to the rock to starting the rock and wrestling connection as, as Hulk Hogan, and she wanted to be paid as such. WWF, for whatever reason, couldn't come to an agreement. Wendy wouldn't sign an extension. So because of that, um, this match was going to take the title off of Wendy Richter. And that's what happened. And November 25th, 1985 would be the last match that Wendy Richter ever had in the WWF. And she wouldn't go back again until she was inducted into the Hall of Fame almost 30 years later. All the people that talk about getting screwed in wrestling. Mm -hmm. And the Wendy Richter one is never brought up enough. No. I, not that Vince was all about women's wrestling in the 80s anyway, past that point. You can't debate that with me. Mm -mm. We, we, we saw where they were relegated to. I mean, whatever. But my God, did Wendy Richter get the raw deal, man? Yeah. Oh, missing out on all that. Like, 
I mean, yeah, we talk the Bret Hart one is more yeah, well, it's more blatant, it's more egregious now that we know yeah, the but it's also more um star studded. Yeah. Where there's so many people involved with that whole thing from back to front. Mm-hmm. And the Wendy Richter one gets buried because, well, it's just Wendy Richter. Wendy Richter was a phenomenal wrestler. Yeah. A phenomenal athlete that got her career cut way too short, not because of injury, not because of of a a substance abuse, because the promoter wanted to. Yeah. Which goes back to my original tweet where I was told to love it or leave it, where most wrestling promoters are dickheads and they should be called out on. But anyway. Yeah. That yeah, that, uh, that, w- that chats my ass, man. It does. Uh, you know, we talk about the we talk about the screw jobs. We talk about wrestlers leaving companies and showing up someplace else. You know, um, and she had nowhere to go. No, uh, she ended up going to the AWA, and obviously, uh, AWA oh. was still doing good business then, but not as good as Diane uh, Wrestling. And I again in '85, I was doing well, but. Yeah, it was just like when Slaughter left. You know, Slaughter left the WWE at the height of his popularity. Yeah. And w- when I said that he that Hogan was main eventing one side of the country and Ricky was main eventing the other side, before Wendy, Sergeant Slaughter was main eventing on one side of the country while uh, Hogan was on the other side. He sold out the Spectrum by himself as a main event uh, against Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov, or when he teamed up with Junkyard Dog, they had twenty thousand at the Spectrum um, in in nineteen eighty four. At the height of Sarge's popul- uh, popularity. And like with Wendy, he couldn't come to terms with, he wanted to unionize. He wanted to, now that the wrestling was a national thing, he wanted to get protected. He wanted the, uh, to get insurance, wanted to get all the, the perks to come along with being a, a national celebrity. Uh, Hogan stooged him out. And next thing you know, the second most popular guy in the company is gone. And one and the uh, the other wouldn't sign a long term contract or didn't like the contract that she was offered, and the most popular woman wrestler you have in the company is gone. Um, but that's how it was back then. And in Sergeant Sarge's case, he didn't have to, he didn't lose a title or he didn't wasn't uh, screwed unjustly. Uh, but Wendy Richter had the title taken from her by the the mo- fabulous Mola, the referee, and. Uh, the ring announcer Howard Finkel announcing that uh, Wendy had lost, and like I said, Wendy Richter never wrestled again. In the WWF, the most popular female wrestler they had, and the uh, that was the other screw job. Um, two more dates, uh, that were historic in wrestling history, uh, and because of uh, Starcade and the other federation, November 26th, 1987, the very first. Head-to-head pay-per-view meeting uh, between the WWF and the NWA. Uh, the fifth annual Starcade would take place November 26, 1987, opposite the very first Survivor Series for the WWF. Uh, the NWA would have their fifth annual Starcade in Chicago. First time they took it out of the South, took it away from Charlotte. Didn't have it in Atlanta, didn't have it in Norfolk, where it always been. This time decided to take the show on the road to Chicago, hometown kayfabe of the Road Warriors. 
<laughs> we're going for the NWA Tag Team Championship against Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. Um, Road Warriors won, but they won by disqualification. They didn't win the belts, even though the fans thought they did. And despite Ric Flair regaining the World Heavyweight Championship from Ronnie Garvin, uh, despite Rock and Roll Express defeating the Midnight Express and the Midnight Express's second straight scaffold match, uh, the Road Warriors lost, not winning the titles at Starcade at Chicago, killed the territory, killed the NWA in Chicago, and pretty much. much killed Starcade as a whole. Um, they drew they in Chicago at the UIC Pavilion. They drew eight thousand folks to that. Meanwhile, in the Richfield Coliseum in Cleveland, WWS first annual Survivor Series uh, featured the uh, Andre uh, the um, Survivors. The teams of five strive to stay alive, and um, the Andre the Giant being the sole survivor and the uh, Bam Bam Bigelow being uh, a um, standout star in a loss. The uh, main event main event heel team managed by the great Bobby Heenan that had uh, Butch Reed, One Man Gang, King Kong Bundy, and Andre the Giant going against Hulk Hogan. Um, who else? Uh, Ken Batera. Just to say, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, no. Don't ask me. That, man. Yeah, uh, but it was the first time that Andre and Hogan had been in the ring since uh, WrestleMania at their first annual Survivor Series. Uh, uh, Hogan was eliminated early. Andre came out on top. Bam Bam Bigelow pinned King Kong Bundy and One Man Gang by himself uh, until fatigue took over. Correct. <laughs> uh, and uh, Andre won. Uh, also, but it put Bam Bam into a huge singles push after that. Uh, the first match uh, was of note was uh, Randy Savage, kid captain his team of Brutus Beefcake, Hacksaw Duggan, uh, somebody else, and Ricky Steamboat. And in the end, it was uh, I'm Jake the Snake Roberts, I believe. Sorry, so it was just. Like, Randy Savage, else, man. Jake the, Randy Savage, Jake the Snake Roberts, Hacksaw Duggan, Brutus Beefcake, and R- Ricky Steamboat on one side. And uh, Honky Tonk Man ended up being the last man on the, at, for his team. And it was three on one. Jake Roberts, Ricky Steamboat, and Randy Savage took turns beating the holy crap out of Honky Tonk Man, who took his belt and left and walked away. We counted out. Uh, but the biggest eye-popping thing that took place for the, at the first Survivor Series for me was the 10 tag team Survivor elimination match. So you had five teams on either side of the ring. So you had 20 guys. So running the ropes is going to be tough because you got to rely on a lot of cooperation because there was nothing but people. It was a lumberjack match with everyone on the apron, pretty much. So the five teams... The 10 tag teams were on the face side, Strike Force, the British Bulldogs, the Rougeos, the Young Stallions, and the Killer Bees against the Hart Foundation, the Islanders, the Bolsheviks, Dino Bravo and Greg Valentine, and Demolition. I uh, forget who won, but I don't care. 
but just a spectacle <laughs> of being those. But that I really uh, care. The, yeah, that crowd in Richfield Coliseum. I told you in Chicago, the NWA drew eight thousand people that night. In Cleveland and the Richfield Coliseum, WWF drew twenty one thousand three hundred and twelve. Wow. Uh, in the end, the buy rate uh, for the fifth annual Starcade was a 3.3 for the NWA. For the WWF, for their first Survivor Series, they did a 7.0 buy rate. I wonder uh, what the difference was. <laughs> uh, which brings us to uh, yesterday in um, uh, wrestling history uh, was the uh, 25th anniversary of the, I'm sorry, 35th anniversary of um, the Night of the Skywalkers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I said, uh, initially, <laughs> 80, November 26, 87 was the Midnight Express's second scaffold match. The first one took place 35 years ago yesterday, November 27th, the Road Warriors versus the Midnight Express. Uh, scaffold match Jim Cornette was supposed to be caught by Big Bubba Rogers. Bubba missed his cue. Jim fell. Yada yada. Rest is history. But uh, again, this is something that I did not know. I didn't know the date, but uh, everyone celebrating the 35th anniversary of Jim Cornette's mighty fall from the scaffold that completely blew out his knee. Yeah. And his word that when he was falling, two words catch me. And Bubba did not hear them. Um, he wasn't even us, in the ring. No, he was at ringside. He was. Ringside. He, was yeah. he was a China missing her cue length away from yeah. where he was supposed to be. Yes, he was. <laughs> and finally, thirty years ago, I thought it was today, but it was yesterday because again, all over social media, thirty years ago today, uh, Survivor Series. Uh, the fourth annual Survivor Series um, with some help from Ric Flair, who knows a two, thing or two about wrestling on a Thanksgiving, uh, threw in a chair and The Undertaker pinned Hulk Hogan to win his very first world championship. 30 years ago today, The Undertaker won his first world title. Yay. <laughs> well, I have zero to say about both of those guys. Yes. Welcome to the club, Dan. I've never had anything to say about the undertaker. Um, And my, I've made my feelings very well known about him on this very podcast. Many times uh, the most overrated wrestler of I've seen in this generation, but um, not up to me. Um, Obviously he's a huge fan favorite. People still love him. I love Mark Callis. He's a great storyteller. He's been great to the business. He understands the business. He loves the business. Uh, his contributions have been immeasurable, but uh, I wouldn't pay a dime to see the Undertaker. And I uh, don't know. He's the Bob Dylan of wrestling. I don't. I understand his popularity, but I don't know what the uh, the big deal is. Uh, never have, never a, will. Even as the as a person now you kind of find out well let me just say that not a big fan of you Craig. <laughs> okay <laughs> who's saying that who's not just a big a, fan of me just, well, okay because i don't like the undertaker no because of your skin color okay because i think he's overrated no no 
Okay. No, very Blue Lives Matter kind of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So. Okay. So just, you know, just so you know. Now I do know. <laughs> and knowing Sam. Knowing you had the battle. Um no, I I I liked Undertaker, but you know, we're on the opposite ends of the spectrum on that one, not the Philadelphia one. Um no. mm-hmm. but I something was occurring to me the other day was that wrestler's court thing. I'm not going to make a whole segment out of it now, but that, that wrestler's court thing, man, man who, who the F do you think you are? <laughs> it's a really nasty shit to some people. Yeah. That really didn't deserve it in wrestler's court. I'm like, who are you? Who, who are you? What is, re- what is even wrestling? <laughs> well, they don't know now. Uh, did you close it out? And that, gentlemen and ladies, is the wrestling historian.